Jesus was there and spoke the world into existence and created us, created man out of the dust of the ground. There was never a time when he wasn't a part of that process. It must have been amazing that the created person would mock Jesus, would try to stone him, and later would nail him to the cross. Do you realize the hands of the Roman soldiers that nailed him to the cross were created by God? Created by Jesus. It is a blessing to be with you today. I'm very thankful to my parents and my sister for bringing me. It was quite a long journey, but it was thankfully without incident, and we are praising the Lord for that. Um, If you remember the last time I was here, uh, we talked about hope in hard times, and we looked at uh, basically the second half of John chapter 16. And I'd like to use the last verse of John chapter 16 as an intro to today's message, and it says, These things have I spoken unto you, that you might have peace. In the world you shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. So we're going to talk about today some ways in which Jesus has overcome the world and benefits that we have as believers because of that. But before we do, let's commit our time to the Lord. Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you for this time. I thank you for journey mercies. I thank you for this opportunity to once again um, share the words of life. Lord, I pray that we would all be changed from what we hear today and that you would have the honor and the glory. In Jesus' precious name, amen. All right, so as we look at John chapter 17, um, I will never forget um, several years ago when my father told me that this was, in his mind, in a sense, the actual Lord's Prayer. Because when Jesus is giving what we we traditionally know as the, the Lord's Prayer, he was giving a pattern for prayer. He said, after this manner, therefore pray ye. But in John chapter 17, we see a prayer that Jesus himself prays for us. And do you ever take time to consider that? That Jesus, the very Son of God, the fullness of God had bodily, prays for you. In this unprecedented time in which we find ourselves with political upheaval, with societal unrest, and with all the other things that we are concerned with, isn't it wonderful to know that the Son of God comes before the throne on your behalf? The Bible says that he intercedes with us, intercedes for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. You see, we pray our prayers from a finite standpoint, and Jesus takes our prayers and he prays for us, and he prays the things that we need. Because often as humans, we get wants and needs mixed up, but he straightens that out. And he communicates for us to the throne of grace. And why does he do that? Because he paid for our sins on Calvary. 
And so when the devil, the accuser of the brethren, comes before God and says, Hey, this man just made this mistake. Or, or when, he, when he says to God in Job, hey, if, if you took everything that Job had, he would curse you. Because the, the accuser of the brethren, that's his prerogative, is to make us seem less than. He's right when he says we're not worthy, but he's wrong in the sense that he doesn't realize the price that has been paid. The Bible says that one day we will look on him whom we have pierced. Jesus will bear in his body those marks for the rest of eternity. And one time we will, at one point we will see them. What did Fanny Crosby say? She said, I shall know him, I shall know him, and redeemed by his side I shall stand. I shall know him, I shall know him, by the prints of the nails in his hands. And what a privilege that is that we will know him by that way. So, my first point, um, how Jesus overcame the world, my first point is, he did the Father's will. Let's look at John chapter 17, verses 1 through 5. These words spoke Jesus and lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify thy Son, that thy Son may also glorify thee. As thou hast given him power over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as thou hast given him. And this is life eternal, that they might know thee and the, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom thou hast sent. I have glorified thee on the earth. I have finished the work which thou gavest me to do. And now, O Father, glorify me with thine own self, with the glory which I had with thee before the world was. And so, we see, first of all, we see an intimate relationship with Jesus between Jesus and his Father. So how does he help us to overcome the world? Verse 2 says, he gives us eternal life. He says, you have given him power, talking of himself over all flesh, that he should give eternal life unto as many as thou hast given him. So, how did Jesus overcome the world? He gave us eternal life. The life that we now live on earth is temporary. Our outward man is perishing, as the Apostle Paul says, but our inward man is renewed day by day. And also, verse 3, eternal life is knowing Him. Sometimes I think when we talk about eternal life, we get a little overly complicated. We talk like it's a, familiar, a, a formula, like it's a specific prayer. But eternal life is knowing Jesus. Now, you can know about Jesus and not know him. There's a difference. The Bible says in John chapter 1, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. So you can know the words of this book, but not know the word Jesus Christ. 
looking in verse 4, we see that he was and is faithful. I have glorified thee on earth. I have finished the work which thou gavest me to do. Now, I don't know about you, but for me, I've always struggled with finishing tasks. I think we all, at one point or another, have struggled with finishing tasks. And yet Jesus is able to say here, I have glorified thee on the earth. I have finished the work which thou gavest me to do. And Paul, following the pattern of his master, said, I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. I have fought the good fight. Of course, um, Jesus would again say it is finished on the cross because he finished his earthly ministry and now he's going to the cross to battle for us between earth and heaven. Verse 5, he was and is worthy. And now, O Father, glorify thou me with thine own self, with the glory which I had with thee before the world was. Do you ever think about that? That God, Jesus as God, as the eternally coexistent figure of the Godhead, was God from eternity past, is God now, and will be God in eternity future. He didn't become when he went into Mary's womb. He became human when he went into Mary's womb, but he did not become because he always was and always will be. And in the book of Proverbs, chapter 30, we read about the creation of the world, and it says, who has put the skies in place? Who has put the seas, stretched them out? And we read these questions, what is his name, and what is his son's name, if you know it? See, the writer of the Proverbs, I had not met Jesus yet, but he knew by the Spirit of God that God had a son. And that his son was with him at the creation of the world. It's an amazing thing for me to think about that Jesus laid aside his glory. He didn't lay aside his deity, he laid aside but he laid aside some of his divine attributes and put them under the control of God and his timing so that he could experience human life. And now he's saying, as, he, as he's nearing the end of his human life on earth, he's saying, restore to me the glory that I had before the world was. There's nothing pompous in what Jesus is saying here, because he is God. Uh, if we could look at John 1, 1 to 3. John 1, 1 to 3, by way of cross-reference. And then Matthew 28, 18 to 20. 
if one of the gentlemen gets either of those scriptures, if they could stand and read them for us. First of all, John 1, 1 to 3, and then Matthew 28, 18 to 20. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him nothing was made that was made. So the person of Jesus was the creator of God. Jesus was there and spoke the world into existence and created us, created man out of the dust of the ground. There was never a time when he wasn't a part of that process. It must have been amazing that the created person would mock Jesus, would try to stone him, and later would nail him to the cross. Do you realize the hands of the Roman soldiers that nailed him to the cross were created by God? Created by Jesus. And yet he allowed that to happen. Can we read our second passage? Matthew 28, 18-20. And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. So, Jesus is saying, all power is given to me and I am going to send you the Holy Spirit so that you have him with you always. I am with you always, even to the end of the age. That means whatever is going on in our society at large, whatever is going on outside our front door, we know that Jesus is in control. And nothing happens without going through his permission. We can see that again. I refer again to Job. Where Job had to ask, or where Satan had to ask specific permission <clears throat> to have power over Job. The only power he had was the power that God gave him. And his day is coming when he will be cast into the pit for all eternity. Praise the Lord for that. John Stott said, His authority on earth allows us to dare to go to all the nations. His authority in heaven gives us our only hope of success, and His presence with us leaves us no other choice. Paul said, Knowing the terror of God, we persuade men. The reason that we preach the gospel, the reason that we, we share the truth every Sunday morning and hopefully elsewhere is because we know the truth and the Holy Spirit helps, helps to convince us of the fact that you shall know the truth and the truth will set you free. So my second point, he cared for his own while on the earth. 
John 17, 6 to 10. John 17, 6. I have manifested thy name unto the men which thou givest me out of the world. Thine they were, and thou gavest them me, and they have kept thy word. Now they have known that all things whatsoever thou hast given me are of thee. For I have given unto them the words which thou gavest me, and they have received them, and have known surely that I am come out from thee, and they have believed that thou didst send me. I pray for them. I pray not for the world, but for them which thou hast given me, for they are thine, and all mine are thine, and thine are mine, and I am glorified in them. So Jesus knows that there's a lot of trials ahead of the disciples. Tradition will tell us, I believe, that 10 out of the 11 original apostles will be martyred for the truth of the gospel. And Peter, in particular, chose to be crucified upside down because he didn't feel worthy to be killed in the same manner of his Savior. And one tradition I read said that Peter was forced to watch his wife die in his presence before he died. So these people, these followers of Jesus, they went through a lot. And even John, though he did not die a martyr's death that we know of, he still went through torture. He was boiled in oil and survived. So they said, okay, John, we're going to exile you to the island of Patmos. So what do we see in this section? First of all, verse 6. He shared the truth with his disciples. He says, I have manifested thy name unto the men which you have given me out of the world. Thine they were, and thou gavest them to me, and they have kept thy word. So he says, I have manifested thy name to them. And they've kept the words that I have given them. And then, it's, and then verse 8 tells us that they believed him. For I have given unto, unto them the words which you gave me, and they have received them and have known surely that I am come from thee, and they have believed that thou didst send me. So that the disciples, as frail as their faith was, they believed that he came from God. They believed that he was sent from God the Father. Isn't it amazing how Jesus affirms the disciples and their faith in him, even though he knows in mere minutes or maybe hours they're going to all forsake him and flee? I don't know about you, but I'm glad that I serve a God who speaks to me on the basis not of who I necessarily am in the moment, but of my potential. Remember what he said to Gideon when he was threshing wine in the when he was threshing wheat in the wine press, hiding it from the Midianites. He said, "The Lord is with thee, thou mighty man of valor." And I can just picture Gideon looking around that wine press, saying, "I don't see anybody else here, Lord. How could it be me? I'm the youngest from the least tribe of Israel." How could it be me? How could it be me? And yet God looked down and he saw not who Gideon was at the moment, but who he had the potential to be. 
if he trusted the Lord Jesus Christ. Pre-incarnate, of course. If he trusted the God of Israel. Because God plus anyone equals a majority when you are in his will. So, let's look at 1 John 5.19. 1 John 5.19, by way of cross-reference. Again, if someone has it, they could read it for us. That would be great. So the the Apostle John is saying the world lieth in wickedness, but we know that we are of God. What did Paul say about those who are of God? You are hid with Christ in God. The hymn writer said it this way, more secure is no one ever than the loved ones of the Savior. I'll tell you, in this in this time of craziness, there's no better way or better place to be than under his wings because he will protect us and he will not even bring us home until our role in his kingdom is done Paul went through a lot of hardship and a lot of difficulty but God was always there to encourage him There's at least one passage in the book of Acts where he says, Don't despair, Paul, because I have many people in this city who trust me, or who will trust me. And then he tells Paul, I'm going to save you from this shipwreck, but only if everyone on board stays with the ship. Imagine that conversation. Paul says, My God has told me, that if you want to be saved, you must stay with the ship. What a faith builder. What a faith builder. And yet, it is so true. And in this time of wickedness and darkness, what are we supposed to do? Jesus said, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Because as we do good works and as we glorify the Father... The kingdom is expanding. And as it gets darker, it's not, an, it's not an excuse, as is the temptation to hold on to the bottom of our chair and pray for rescue, but rather to continue keeping the lighthouse lit. It's fitting that this place is called the lighthouse. It's an old... Southern Gospel song that says, if it wasn't for the lighthouse, where would this ship be? As society darkens, we need more light, not less. So may I encourage you to beam your light in the corner where God has you. Our third point. He doesn't leave us without hope today. He doesn't leave us without hope today. And how grateful 
I am for that. John seventeen eleven to 20. John seventeen eleven to 20 says, And now I am no more in the world, but they are in the world, and I come to thee, Holy Father. Keep them through thine own name, those whom thou hast given me, that they may be one as we are one. While I was with them in the world, I kept them in thy name. Those that thou gavest me, I kept, I kept, and none of them is lost. Save the son of perdition, that the scriptures might be fulfilled. And now I come to thee, and these things I speak in the world, in the world, that they might have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them thy word, and, thy, and the world hath hated them, because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. I pray not that thou shouldest take them out of the world, but that thou shouldest keep them from the evil. They are not of the world as I am not of the world. Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. As thou hast sent me into the world, even so have I sent them into the world. And for their sakes I sanctify myself, that they may also be sanctified through thy truth. Neither pray I for these alone, but for them also which shall believe me through their word. That they may be one, even as thou, Father, art in me, and I in thee. That they also may be one in us. That the world may also believe that thou hast sent me. So, we see here, in this passage, a couple different things. Verse 11. He prays for oneness in the body of Christ. He prays that we would be one as the as the as the Godhead is one. In in creation they said let us make man in our image and after our likeness. They were committed to oneness. In the redemption of mankind they each played their role. The Father sent the Son to be the propitiation for our sins and the Son authorized the Holy Spirit to come and indwell each believer. One God, three persons. He did not lose his own. Verse 12. When I was with them in the world, I have kept them in thy name. Those that thou givest me have I kept, and none of them have I lost, but the son of perdition, that the scripture might be fulfilled. I think this is an important passage when you're talking about the eternal security of the believer. Jesus is not a human who loses things. If he redeems someone, he redeems them for life. Now, now these, these people that he's talking about were imperfect. They would all run away from him after this is said. As the scriptures say, I will smite the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. That had not happened yet. And yet Jesus is saying, I have not lost any that you've given me except for Judas, the son of perdition, because the scriptures required it. Because the scriptures needed to be fulfilled. 
So he prays that they would be one as as we are one. He prays and thanks God that they have all stayed with him, that he has lost none. And then... Verse 14 and 15. He prays for the disciples' joy and protection. I have given them thy word, and the world hated them, because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. I pray not that thou should have taken them out of the world, but that thou shouldest keep them from the evil. And actually, verse 13 talks about the joy. So let's read that again too. And now I come to thee, and these things I speak unto the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. So he talks about wanting to give them joy. Remember, he he had said, This is my commandment, that you love one another, that your joy might be full. He wants them to have joy. And then... He says in verse 15, I pray now that thou shouldest take them out of the world, but that thou shouldest keep them from the evil. There's an old saying that says, he's so heavenly minded, he's earthly. He's no earthly good. But I, I like to transpose that statement a little bit, that in order, you must be heavenly minded in order to be earthly good. If we are not heavenly minded, we cannot do true good works on this earth. Because the good works that we do, the good works that matter, are to bring glory to Jesus. James said, True religion and undefiled is this, to visit the fatherless and the widow, and to keep oneself unspotted from the world. And then he prays for them to be equipped for the work that he has for them. 17 to 19, sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. As thou hast sent me into the world, even so I send them into the world. And for their sakes I sanctify myself, that they also may be sanctified through thy truth. Remember, it would be only a few short hours later when Pilate would stand before Jesus and Jesus would be discussing with him the truth. And Pilate would say, in the presence of very truth, what is truth? He missed it. Now he knows the truth. And he's grappling with the fact that eternity is long. But at that time, he was naive to the truth. He didn't see it staring him in the face. And I often would think as a kid and growing up that if I was walking along beside Jesus that I would know that he was the one. But then I think of all the hardened hearts that there were right with him that didn't understand who he was, that didn't understand the truth that he was trying to share, even when he gave them their very thoughts, the very thoughts in their minds. 
He knew them, and yet they were stubborn enough to often reject him. And then the final subpoint under point three is he prays for us. He says, Neither pray I for these alone, but also for them which shall believe on me through their word. The Apostle John wrote John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him shall not perish, but shall have everlasting life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. And it's because of these words and words like them. In 1 John, the Apostle John says, These are written that you may know that you have eternal life. I don't have to worry about losing my salvation. I don't worry. I have to worry about doubting my salvation because it's, it's done. It's bought and paid for. And I can know that I know that I know that I have eternal life. Not because of me but because of him. Um, by way of cross-reference, could we look at John 15, verse 11? John fifteen eleven. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may remain in you, Remember we talked about earlier the fullness of joy. And then Jude one twenty four and 25. Jude one twenty four and 25. Uh, now unto him that is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy to the only wise God, our Savior, be glory and majesty, dominion and power both now and ever. Amen. So... Jude is talking about how it's God's power that will deliver us faultless before his throne and not our own power. The power that Jesus has been talking about in this chapter to do his will, to expand his kingdom, it's all of God. There are so many teachings in the church today that bring it more to what we have to do. But it's a work of the Holy Spirit. Even when the early preachers in the book of Acts preach the gospel, they don't give a sinner's prayer and say, would you like to receive Jesus? No, the Holy Spirit works in such a way that the receivers of the message simply say, what must I do to be saved? And if the Holy Spirit is working, then people will ask that question. And that question, sincerely asked, will be answered. Because Jesus said, if you seek me, you will find me. He doesn't speak in, in the maybe. He speaks in the definitive article. I, I love that about my Savior. And then, as we close... 
I just want to share this quote and a couple final short passages. Prayer is not a monologue, but a dialogue. God's voice in response to mine is the most essential part. Andrew Murray. And I think that's so important. So often we just have prayer and we rattle off the things that we want or the things that we think we need, but we don't always listen to God. And He wants to speak if we will listen. But we can we can quench the Spirit. We can ignore the still small voice. But I can tell you that when the Holy Spirit tells me to do something and I do it, there is great reward and blessing. And He knows what people need. Sometimes the prompting of the Holy Spirit allows you to be an answer to a prayer that someone else is praying. So we would not want to miss that opportunity. Now I just want to read John 17.21. I tacked it on in the end there. But I want to read it again. John 17.21 That they may be one as thou, Father, art in me, and I in thee, that they may also be one in us, that the world may believe that thou hast sent me. So in verse 11, toward the beginning of our third point, and in verse 21, he pleads for oneness in the church. And why is this so important? What what is the reason that we should be one? It is so that the world might believe that thou hast sent me. When the world sees disharmony within the church, they can look at it and say, well, I have disharmony outside of my church. Why would I want this? That's why it's so important for us to bring ourselves under the sound of the Word of God. And then, finally, if someone could read for me, 1 Peter 2.15-17, 1 Peter 2.15-17. For so is the will of God, that with well-doing you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men, as free and not using your liberty for a cloak of maliciousness, but as the servants of God, honor all men, love the brotherhood, So how do we silence the maliciousness of men? By following Jesus Christ. By doing the things that he asks us to do. By being happily countercultural. I think so often our perspective as believers is how close can I get to the culture in which I am and still be a believer? But Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the king's meat. And because of that, he stood head and shoulders above everyone else there. And because of him, the spines of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were stiffened so that when they got to the fiery furnace, they said, 
O king, live forever. They still respected him as king, but they said, we will not bow down to your statue. We believe that God can deliver us from the fiery furnace and from your hand, but even if he does not, we still will not bow down. And that's the kind of believer, that's the kind of Christian that God wants today. To stand in the gap. Because there is a gap. Sadly, there's many people claiming to be ministers of the gospel who are encouraging people to take easy road. Jesus said, Narrow is the gate that leads to life, and few there be that find it. I implore you to take the narrow gate. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you are the bread of life. We thank you that you came to give life and life more abundant. And we pray that we would take these truths with us as we go through our week. May we be lights in a dark world. May we draw people to you. May we be used to show people the freedom that we found in Jesus Christ. I pray this all in Jesus' name. And I ask that you would um, make your face shine upon us and give us peace. In Jesus' name. Amen.